Ephesians chapter 1. I've entitled this today, Do You Realize How Rich You Are? Do you realize how rich you are? Now you might say, well, no, I'm up to my neck in debt. Well, those are not the riches that really matter. Of course, or your lack of riches, by the way, in that case. That's not what this is about. See, one of the great truths of the Christian life is what God has given us in grace. What God has given us as his children. You can preach till you lose your voice and tell people how they ought to behave and how naughty they are and how wicked they are. And I'm talking about talking to Christians, by the way. And uh, many times it just doesn't change anything. But I have found this. If a person, if a believer will spend time at the foot of the cross, if a believer will spend time looking up, as it was sung this morning, and looking to the Lord and seeing what God says in his word and claiming the promises he has given us, you will find your attitude and perspective will change. One Bible teacher said this, and I quote, too many Christians have never, quote unquote, read the bank book to find out the vast spiritual wealth that God has put to their account through Jesus Christ. They are like the late newspaper publisher, William Randolph Hearst, who invested a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world. One day, Mr. Hearst found a description of some valuable items that he felt he must own. So he sent his agent abroad to find them. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. Well, of course, Hearst was excited. The treasures were in Mr. Hearst's warehouse. See, Hearst had been searching frantically for treasures he already owned. Had he read the catalog of his treasures, he would have saved himself a great deal of money and trouble. Folks, here's the catalog. It is a fact that we as believers are not understanding the riches that we have in Christ. We're not appreciating those. And we get focused on the temporal. We get focused on the little stuff that just really doesn't matter. Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. More about that in a few minutes. But Paul continues here in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we've already covered some wonderful verses and wonderful truths here in Ephesians, and this just keeps going. Ephesians 1.15, after verses 13 and 14 that we talked about last week, where we, we talked about being sealed by the Holy Spirit and in Christ, and there's no question about it that once you're saved, you're saved forever. Talking about Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians 1.15, Wherefore I also... Paul, talking about the Lord and the believers at Ephesus, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in other words, that they had trusted Christ as Savior, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, the Apostle Paul in this passage, he's going to be talking about what he prayed for these Ephesian believers. Now, that doesn't sound real exciting on the surface. Most of us, they just say, that that's just kind of a, a chunk of Christianese, that statement. I don't understand it. It doesn't sound too exciting to me. But folks, it was very exciting. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some truths that we need to understand. You see, he wanted them to know what they possessed as children of God. 
He wanted them to understand their standing in Christ. Because if they knew what they had in Christ, it would change their lives and it would energize them as believers. Let me say that again. If they knew what they had in Christ, it would change their lives and it would energize them as believers. Do you feel kind of discouraged today as a believer? I want you to listen carefully today. And I want you to understand what we have in Christ. See, it's easy to forget what the Lord has done for us and is doing in us. When we forget, we get discouraged and we start looking other places that will never help us or satisfy us. This is the testimony of untold scores of believers down through the ages. They started out right. When they got saved, they were excited. They had eternal life. They thought, this is awesome. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I'm so excited about this. They started coming to church. Okay, they got the Bible. They started learning scripture. They started learning what the Bible says. And listen, this is the best phrase I know of to explain it. And then they got used to it. They got used to it. And you know what was so excited at the beginning? It's no longer exciting to them. Folks, that's just like when people find our church, so many, they get so excited at the beginning, okay? Maybe they come, maybe they're not saved, they get saved here. They get so excited, oh, I'm learning the truth of God and all this. I wouldn't miss a thing, and I'm, I'm a member, I'm at everything, I'm participating in everything, but over time, what happens is you get used to it. You get used to the people that you know. You pretty much usually sit in the same place. Now, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying, just saying. And what happens? We get in a routine because we're creatures of habit. I get that. But you know what? We should never get in the habit of just going through the motions. This thing of the Christian life ought to be exciting. It ought to be meaningful. It ought to be really fresh every day. And that's an issue of walking in fellowship with God. Here's Paul's prayers for these believers. I want you to look at it. Verse 17. At the end of chapter 16, he says, making mention of you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. First, he says he wanted the Lord to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, this is not referring to the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week. They were sealed by and with the Holy Spirit. They received him upon believing. They were sealed. No, instead, it's the mindset or the attitude that comes from the Lord himself. This is something God gives us. It is what they needed to successfully live the Christian life, and it's exactly the same for us. Because if we don't get from the Lord the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we're not going to endure as believers. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But you end up falling by the wayside. You end up dropping out of the race, so to speak. Whereas we were running with purpose, now we're just kind of strolling along, wondering how long this is going to be until we get home. That's not the way to live. Let's break this down. You notice the spirit of wisdom. We need wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Listen, wisdom is not knowledge. No, you have to have knowledge to be wise, but wisdom is the right application of the knowledge we receive. 
Let me say this. We can learn the word of God, and to an extent, we can gain wisdom just by learning the scriptures. Amen to that. I'm for that. But it doesn't end there. You see, we can become great museums or libraries of scripture truth. But just having scripture truth is not necessarily wisdom. It is taking the truth of God and then knowing how to apply it properly. That's wisdom. Let me give you an example. You can have the gospel and you can say, oh, I want people to be saved. And you can go out and you can talk to people and you can get right in their face and poke them in the chest and say, listen, you need to trust Christ as Savior or you'll burn in hell when you die. Well, that's true knowledge, but it's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. Wisdom is how to properly apply the truth of God. Many people today are knowledgeable, but they are fools in the way they live, both believers and unbelievers. Of course, the lost world is full of people like this. Knowledge, knowledge, information, information. Constantly, we're constantly being bombarded by information. And yet, you know what? There's no common sense today. Common sense is related to wisdom. And there's very little of that today. Wisdom is practical and it has its values based on scripture. So Paul was praying that God would give them a spirit, the mindset, the attitude of wisdom. And by the way, the scripture says what? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean to fear the Lord? It means to have a very reverent respect for him. And yes, folks, there are times when we ought to be afraid. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, nothing wrong with that. I had a reverence for my dad. But you know what? I also knew this. If I rebelled towards him, I ought to, that reverence ought to step it up a little bit and it ought to move over to fear. I ought to fear what can happen if I decide to rebel towards him. You might say, oh, that doesn't sound very spiritual. You know, don't look at just one side of these things. Look at the whole picture. What God can do to a rebellious child is not a pretty thing. Now, I'm not saying we ought to live shaking. No, here's the difference. The fool says, I don't want to do what's right, so I'll just live shaking in fear. That's the fool. The wise person says this, you know what? I see there's two sides. There's the blessing side of God, and there's the chastening side of God. I'm going to go with the blessing side. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And if that is the approach we take, and if that is the path we take as believers, then there's going to be a whole lot more blessing involved in life. And it's the experiencing of the blessings, because the Bible, as we're going to see next time, God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. You might say, why don't I feel them all the time? Why don't I experience them all the time? That has to do with our walk of fellowship with God. Secondly, he was praying that God would give them not only the spirit of wisdom, but also of revelation. Now, what is that? Well, that the Lord would give them a mindset to understand the word of God. It doesn't mean that every Christian is going to get new revelation from God to be added to the pages of scripture. No, the Bible is done. This is it. This is it. You know, it's popular today. People say, what about the epistles of Thomas? What about this? You know, they're saying there's lost letters to the Bible and all that. You know what? Just put the skids on that. Don't worry about other books until you've mastered this one. 
See, we get our curiosity so piqued with this stuff, and this stuff is just, they're just rabbit trails. No, this is it. This is it. There's no more revelation being given in the sense of inspired scripture. But there's the spirit of revelation in the sense of illumination, illumination, that the scriptures get revealed to us, or our minds are illumined, the lights come on, so to speak, and we can understand what God is saying. Paul says, listen, I want you to be, I want God to give you the mindset of not only being wise, but also understanding the scriptures. Because folks, this is the doorway into understanding just how rich we are in Christ. Now, let me say this. I think you understand by now. When I talk about riches, I'm not talking about material wealth. That's a sham. When you die, you're not taking any of it with you. None of it. So don't hold on to it now. It doesn't matter. But he was praying that the spirit of revelation, that what the Bible says about Christ and about the Christian life, that it would be revealed to them in understanding. And by the way, it's defined in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Do you see it? Paul says, I really want you to understand the truth of God. I'm praying that God would give you a spirit of revelation to where your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know, look at this, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And we'll stop there. Now, let me say this. This is all impossible without being in the word of God and walking according to scripture. You cannot know these deep truths of God. You cannot know the Bible more than just the surface understanding of it, unless we walk in obedience and faith in the Lord. Okay? You can't know these things. Paul is saying, basically, in this passage, he's saying, you know what I'm doing? I'm praying for your spiritual growth and that God would reveal these things to you and that you would keep growing because as you keep growing as a believer, as you keep going on as a believer, you are going to understand things are going to be unlocked for you and you're going to understand the riches and the awesome blessings that God has for you in this life. And folks, when we start understanding those things is when we quit craving the junk of the world. You might say, well, I really don't want to really commit to following Christ and surrendering to him in my life as a believer, but I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, have a desire for the worldly stuff either. Yeah, there's a name for you. It's called miserable. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. Folks, as believers, listen, if we've trusted Christ to save us for all eternity, keep us out of hell, it only makes sense that I would trust him with my life. If I believe what he said about getting to heaven, I ought to believe what he says about living here. Paul had a burden for these people. He had a love for them. So again, it's all impossible without us being in the word of God and walking according to it. But when we are in it and obey it, the Lord reveals his perspective and we grow in understanding, illumination, revelation, and wisdom. Wisdom. And what happens? It changes us. Secondly, though, he wanted them to understand the hope of their calling. Now, the word hope means the joyful anticipation. The joyful anticipation. We use the hope today. It's kind of like, well, you know, I hope my car starts tomorrow morning. That's not the biblical term hope. 
The word hope in the Bible means to anticipate with joy. In other words, because God has said it, we are anticipating seeing it come about, inseparably linked with faith, by the way. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me over to 1 John chapter 3. He wanted them to understand the hope of their calling. I believe this refers to the wonderful time when the Lord would come at the rapture and take them home. There's a great motivation for us in expecting the Lord to come at any moment. We talked about that today in membership class. 1 John chapter 3. Now look at how beautiful this is. 1 John 3. You know, I am so tired of reading commentaries that say, well, the reason 1 John was written is to test whether they're really saved or not. Most of your commentaries will teach you that. That is absolutely false. Absolutely false. 1 John is not a test of relationship. 1 John is a test of fellowship. The two are not the same. Relationship has to do with when you trust Christ as Savior, you become an eternal child of God that can never change. No matter what takes place, it can never change. Fellowship has to do with how our daily walk is with the Lord, how that is going. Are we living under chastening or are we living under the blessing? Are we enjoying the blessings of God or are we living under constant conviction as a believer? That has to do with fellowship or not. 1 John 3 verse 1 Look at John writes, he says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon who? Us. He's talking to believers. He was a believer. That we should be called the sons of God. He says, what an amazing thing. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Imagine that, that God would allow us to be his children. Do you sense the grace in such a statement as that? John's not saying, oh, I hope I'm saved. No, he's saying, what a marvelous thing that I am. That's what he's saying. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now, verse two, beloved, look at this statement of the assurance of salvation. Now are we the sons of God. How could he say that if once saved, always saved wasn't true? He'd have to say, beloved, if you're saved, Now we're the sons of God if we're proving every day that we're saved because we're living a victorious life. No, none of that. Why? Because none of that, your salvation's only based on faith in Christ. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You notice he's sure he's saved. He says, I'm a child of God now. That's what he's saying. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, not hope, We know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, you notice verses 1 and 2 talks about the assurance of our salvation, our position in Christ. We know that we're children of God. Verse 3, and every man that hath this hope, there's that El Peace word again, that's the Greek. Every man who has this joyful anticipation that we're going to see Jesus because we're children of God. Every man that hath this hope in him, purifies himself, even as he, the Lord, is pure. The fact that Jesus could come back at any moment has a purifying effect in the life of a child of God. 
if we are thinking about it, if we're dwelling on it, if we're looking for Jesus to come back at any moment. Folks, listen, there's a simple truth here. If I'm looking for Jesus to come at any moment, really looking for him to come at any moment, to take me home, I'm not going to be involved in sin. I'm not going to be in the middle of sin. Why? He could come back at any moment. If my heart is looking for him to come back, the last thing on my mind is sin. This is how it's supposed to be for a believer. Paul wanted the Ephesian believers to understand the hope of their calling, which is we're called to go to be with the Lord. Not only that, go back to Ephesians. Number three, he wanted them to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 18, the riches of the glory of of his inheritance in the saints. What is that referring to? This refers to the greatness of what the future held for them. Can I tell you folks, for the believer, there are great blessings, great riches. Listen, now I love the word of God and God has done all he can to communicate with us through the word. But here's the truth of it. Words cannot express fully what is up ahead for a believer. Folks, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase all of it. So, see how that truth motivates? So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Isn't that glorious? Okay, I I could think about this and hear about this all day long, and I just don't want to go anywhere. Just let me meditate on this. Just let me chew on this. Just let me enjoy this truth. He wanted them to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This refers to the greatness of what the future had. I don't want to say a whole lot about it, but I do want to reference it in the context here. Look a little further ahead in Ephesians chapter 2 because we'll be covering this either next week or the week after. It says this in Ephesians 2, by the way, you don't have to read it, but in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Excuse me, verse 5, by grace ye are saved. We are dead in sins, but the Lord has made us alive together in Christ. By grace you're saved. Now verse 6, and hath raised us up together, raised us up together, that's the body of Christ, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can't even imagine what that's like. Taking filthy, rotten sinners, washing them in the blood of the Lamb, and then come sit with me. I got a special place for you in heaven. How awesome is that? And not only that, look at the verse 7. It isn't just a one-time event thing. Look at verse 7. And that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us believers through Christ Jesus. You know how tempted I am to go off on these two verses, but I have to, I can't. I got to wait till further down the road. See, the Lord wants us to know all that we are and have in Christ. He wants us to comprehend our corporate benefits. He doesn't want us searching the world for fulfillment and satisfaction. 
He says, hey, I've got it all right here. And the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. The world can't compare. For when we see what we are and have in Christ, we are motivated to live for the Lord, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Why? Because we've turned our eyes upon Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And not only in this world, but also in the world to come. This is an amazing thing. These are all things that Paul was praying for the Ephesians. Notice, he wanted them to know the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their everyday lives. That's our fourth point. He wanted them to know the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their everyday lives. The same power, folks. You may have never heard this before. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that we have today to live the Christian life. It's what it says. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the very power that we have to live the Christian life. Think of it. And how do we access that? By faith. By faith. We look to the Lord and we trust in him. And that power is there to bring victory. He provides all we need to be victorious and to bring glory to him. Now, let me make this practical. There is nothing that we cannot have victory over in our lives. Nothing. People are burdened. We are burdened. We're sinners. That's enough burden right there. But you know what? When we got saved, the power, the dominion of sin was broken in our lives. We don't have to live under the control of it. Rather, what God has done is he provides everything in his grace to the believer to live a life of victory above the issues of the flesh. There's no reason that a Christian has to live under the dominion of the flesh nature. The power was broken at the cross. And God now says, okay, that power was broken. I'm giving you resurrection power. The same power that I raised Jesus from the dead, that is there available to you if you'll trust me for that. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the strength. Nothing we cannot have victory over in our lives. Marriage problems, folks? You having marriage problems? Jesus Christ provides the power and the ability to get it right. Family problems? Jesus Christ provides all we need. Money problems? Jesus Christ will provide all we need. Attitude problems? Jesus Christ will provide all that we need. Problems at work? Jesus Christ will provide all that we need through his resurrection power. The Lord will bring us through every issue we face. This is what we have in Christ. These are some of the riches that we have in Christ. Hold your place here and look with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, talking about our position in Christ. 
Of course, Romans goes more into detail than Ephesians does, but really it's talking about the same issues. Paul writing again under inspiration of the Scriptures, it says in Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing in your life or anything that comes down the road in your life is what he's saying. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, and that includes you, and that includes me, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. The idea is super overcomers. You might say, well, I don't feel much like a super overcomer. I'm living in defeat. I'm having problems all the time. Folks, you know why? Because we're not serious about getting out of the pit and getting on the road and living successfully. Here's what we want. We say, well, you know what? There's some stuff in this pit that drew me at the beginning, and it's still kind of attracted to me. I like holding on to the stuff in this pit. It's like... You can't get on the highway and make progress if you're going to hold on to the junk in the pit. God provides us victory out of the pit, and he provides us power for the road ahead. But we have to want it. And the truth of it is most Christians don't. We want to dabble. We don't mind letting the Lord have some parts of our lives, but not all the parts of our lives. So he wanted them to know the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their everyday lives. His power provides victory over what? Well, over the world, the world system. When it says the world, it means the world system. You know, there's a funny thing. I was, um, some of you know this, before I was saved, I was pursuing a career in in, uh, commercial art. And in particular, you know, designing advertisements, like what you see in magazines and so forth like that. That was kind of the direction things were going. They don't always, you know, go in that direction, but that was where I was going. That's what I was interested in. So we were designing advertisements and so forth. Well, what is the point of advertising? The point of advertising, now, not so much what I was doing as far as the different projects in college at the point, but really when it gets down to advertising, what is the point of advertising? Listen carefully. If this doesn't sound nasty, I don't know what does. It is to make you discontent with what you have so that you will buy what you don't have. You'll pursue it. Is that not what advertising is? How many of you have gotten any kinds of... This is, a, this is almost a rhetorical question. How many of you have gotten any kind of Black Friday advertisements or emails recently? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what are they wanting you to do? They don't want you content with what you have. You know, we got a nice TV last year. Oh, but that won't do this year. The technology's way beyond that. And not only do you want the clearer picture, you want much bigger, okay? Don't be content with what you have. You need the new, you need the improved. Even though the new one looks just like the old one, believe me, there's stuff inside there you can't live without. See, the world wants you discontent. The Lord tells us this, in Christ you can be completely content. 
So he provides power over the world. Satan is the God of this world, and he wants to turn your focus away from Christ to money, to things, to stuff. Jesus said in John 16, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Discontented people are not peaceful people. In the world you shall have tribulation, but Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's victory over the world. Secondly, there's victory over the flesh. This is the old nature that we still have. This is why we still sin. Let me ask you this morning, you having bad or wrong thoughts about something? You have a bad temper? A temper? Timber? No, temper. Do you struggle with lust? With envy? With strife? You struggle with addictions? I got news for you. In Jesus Christ, there is the power to overcome all of it in Jesus Christ. Is it going to be easy? Not necessarily. It depends on how entrenched those things are in your life. But you can gain the victory and you can live above them. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Then right away he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of sin, but with the flesh the law, or excuse me, the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I received in the last two weeks probably five or six emails from people who are struggling with different things in their lives, addictions or this thing or that thing. And, you know, how do I get victory over this? It's one decision at a time, one moment at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time. But you start with a little increment, a right decision. When you are tempted, focus. And here's, by the way, folks, listen. Let me just give you a crash course on this. Do you want victory? Are you serious about it? You've got an addiction. You've got a problem. It's been bothering you for years. Let me suggest to you that you memorize Romans chapter 6. Which verse? All of them. Oh, I can't do that. You're not serious then. At least read it. At least read it, reread it, reread it. Carry it with you. Most of us have smartphones. Get a Bible app. Have it right there. And when the temptations come, you take it and you read it. Or if you've memorized it, no matter where you are, you can bring it up. And you focus on that. And you focus on those verses. And you think and you meditate on those verses. How long? Until the temptation goes away. And guess what? You've had a victory. Do you know what? There may be another challenge a couple minutes from now. What do you do then? Same thing. I have shared this with people. I've shared this with people who are alcoholics. And you know what? They were delivered from it. It took them time, but they were delivered. See, God's word gives us hope because it gives us real solutions. And if memorizing comes easy to you, by the way, memorize chapter 7 as well of Romans. Romans 6 and seven. He gives us victory over the world, over the flesh, over the devil. See, the devil is the great tempter and deceiver. Satan could not keep the Lord in the grave. He's a defeated foe. It shows he's no match for the Lord in his power. And the word of God defeats Satan. The word of God, as we stand by faith, as we trust in the Lord where we're being tempted or even tormented by Satan, hassled by him fiery darts. 
We stand on the word of God and we resist the devil and the Bible says he will flee. Why? Because there's victory in Christ. It's part of the riches that we have in him. This is what the Lord used when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Do you remember that? John says in 1 John 4, verse 4, And ye ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. And it says in verse 22, And hath put all things under his feet. Jesus died paid for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the grave. The resurrection power of God raised him from the grave. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. He empowers us every day that we can live victoriously for him. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all." See, none of this is a reality in the life of an unbeliever. Do we understand this? When we look at people, yes, they look just like us. Why? Because they are like us. They're human beings. But the difference is something inside. A lost person can struggle with the same things, but they have no real lasting solution. We do as believers. We are in Christ And because we are in Christ, all the blessings and the access of help, the availability is there all the time, and he will help us through. Where does it begin? You must put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior for these truths to be a reality. You know, if you're here today or watching over the internet, let me explain to you how you can have eternal life, how you can be saved, how... Jesus Christ can save you and he can break the bondage of sin in your life. This all comes when you trust Christ as your savior. Doesn't mean you won't sin in the future because we all still sin. But here's the truth, folks. Some of us don't want to hear it. We don't have to. It's choice. And we're all guilty, by the way. But here's how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. This hand representing you and me, my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners every one of us, including me. Yet the Bible says God loves us. In spite of the fact we're sinners, he loves us. He hates our sin. Sin separates us from him. To get into heaven, you have to be without any sin whatsoever. You have to be sinless. All your sin has to be paid for. It all has to be gone. See, God requires a payment for sin. And if we do it, we'll spend forever in hell suffering because of it. No amount of good works will take away the sin. And it says here, you look at it with me, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. See, it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here we are as sinners, unable to save ourselves. But God says, I love you so much, I don't want you to end up in hell. I want you to live with me forever in heaven. I love you so much. God himself took on flesh. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And when Jesus went to the cross, a whole lifetime of sin, he took it upon himself and he made the complete payment for every one of them. Even the things we haven't done wrong yet, Jesus died and paid the price for that. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says, if you will believe in him, if you will believe in him that he did that for you, in other words, you're putting your faith in him as your Savior. He'll give you everlasting life the moment you do that, the moment you believe. It's a gift. 
It's free. You might say, well, don't I have to promise anything? No, you promise nothing because you can't keep it. You take him at his promise. He keeps all of his promises. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you a home in heaven as a free gift. Will you today trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.